Loudon bunts Jones into scoring position. That's one out for Brandon Freeman, who singled first time up. They don't have a hitter. Oh, he's in the bathroom. Oh, goodness. Brandon Freeman was out in the clubhouse down the right field line. Yeah, he's got a bat. It's his turn in the order. So hustling in from the clubhouse is Freeman. He's got to get a helmet and a bat. Mavericks are going to get chastised a little bit for this one as here comes the Jamesville crawdad, Brandon Freeman. Well, I hope he feels better anyway. Freeman, no gloves, very quickly into the batter's box. Loses the bat promptly on a swing and a foul, and then he's going to reach into his back pocket and get the gloves. Welsh, the shortstop, fielded the bat and then just pantomimed like he was going to throw that over to first base. Goodness, uh, we've got ourselves uh, almost a full-on yard sale on the infield as Brandon Freeman collects his assorted paraphernalia. It's Mr. Burger. I tell him what your name is. It's Mr. Burger. Burger Bites is recorded on location in Ozark, Missouri and presented on Anchor. The views expressed on Burger Bites are not necessarily those of the staff and ownership of the Grip and Rip Baseball League. Enjoy the show. Man, what is Freeman doing is a phrase I've heard more than once on the playing field and in the press box at U.S. Baseball Park. The 2021 Moon City Mavericks captured eight wins and won the championship in the Grip and Rip Baseball League. I got to call all of Moon City's big moments. There was Tyler Jones' Grand Slam. There was Clay Murphy's championship-clinching strikeout at the end. And in the Mavericks' 4-0 win over the Knicks' Suckers in the playoff semifinals, there was Brandon Freeman's very poorly timed bathroom break. It may be a while before the Mavericks' third baseman lives down that moment. When you've got to go, you've got to go. In fairness, here are some highlights from that same game, the 2021 semifinal. From Spokane, Missouri. Professionally, he's a civil engineer, does a lot of work designing stormwater and wastewater systems. Freeman puts this one into shallow right, tailing down. That is going to get down for hit number four. Swing and a grounder to the third baseman. It's soft. Freeman in to get it. Got the throw across to Loudon in time. Starting to run out of chances late in this semifinal, trailing by two. Brandon Freeman drops a base hit into center field. That is his second hit of the day. He's two for three. In his defense, I can tell you that Freeman has proven himself to be knowledgeable, versatile, and valuable over the last five GRBL seasons. He's played in championship games in three out of the last four years, and he's been on the championship winning team twice. He can play three different infield positions, play the outfield, be the designated hitter, and even pitch. He's a team player through and through, and one of the best examples came at the very start of this interview. I asked Brandon Freeman about the significance of playing for the Moon City Mavericks. The first thing he did was deflect to talk about three of his teammates, pitchers Jacob Smith, Devin Braswell, and Clay Murphy. But eventually, I convinced Freeman to talk about himself, and why was rewarded with a look inside the mind of a two-time champion who occasionally leaves us asking, man, 
What is Freeman doing? My favorite thing about that team was our pitching. You don't often see a very typical approach to pitching where you have a starter, a middleman, a closer, you know, and a, a big Royals fan. So I look back at the years when they, they were doing good and they had uh, get through six innings. And once you got to uh, Kelvin Herrera and Wade Davis and Derek Holland, you know, HGH, it was like, okay, we're through the sixth inning. We got two runs. We're going to win this game. And I think like with the Mavericks, it was cool because you had Clay Murphy, who's just been shut down two years in a row that he's played. So it was like, hey, all we really have to do is get to the fourth or fifth inning. And then after that's like bonus runs. And and like I haven't had a team at, in grip and rip that's been like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of pitching and, and watching pitching and MLB. And so that, that to me was really cool to uh, just have dominant pitching because I mean, there's been dominant pitching in grip and rip, but not, and I think with some rules that changed, it's gotten to where guys can go longer innings. It's getting more to traditional baseball, but, you know, I think about my first three years, man, you had a platoon of pitchers, you know, I was pitching, you know, it was, it was, uh, things have changed. And I think that it's, it's better for the game to uh, have a little better approach to pitching. So, you know, I've heard, Players in grip and rip say there's nothing like winning the first championship. You know, you did that in in 2020 with the Mountain Ducks, but from the uh, the celebration and stuff, it seemed like championship number two with Moon City was equally sweet. Yeah, you know, what, what was that like for you on a just on a personal level? It was just awesome. I mean, I I was on successful teams, baseball teams in high school, but we won some tournaments or we won a conference tournament here or there, but. You know, we never won districts, you know, never made it past districts. So honestly, and our basketball team in high school was horrible. So, you know, to, to be on a championship team and especially in, in a league where you have some really good athletes that you get to play with, it's, it's pretty cool. And then, you know, personally, we saw you get, you know, more at bats, more plate appearances and, and also just, you know, you were playing some key innings defensively, especially when Clay Murphy was pitching and, and you guys needed to move your infield around. So, you know, how do you feel about uh, just, just what your role was and, and the role that you grew into with the Mavericks? Yeah, I mean, it, it was probably the most games I'd started out of any year and a little bit more consistency on I knew I was either going to be you know, maybe a DH or EH, but most likely I'd be at first or third. With that consistent pitching, I kind of knew, I probably drove Dan England crazy, you know, because I'm the type of player, I'm like, hey, Dan, like, what what are you thinking I'm going to be doing in the next inning, you know? <laughs> just, uh, I think that just comes from, like, the days of, like, you pre like I knew I was going to play the whole entire game. It's like, you showed up, you got ready, you got in, and now it's like, it reminds me of like what people describe relief pitching in college, like, or even in the majors where you don't know when you're going to be used, but you kind of got to always be ready. And, and uh, so I'm always trying not to just be over there goofing off and like, you know, at least try to get out there and throw the ball around or, you know, get ready. So this year was cool to, to kind of know each week that I was going to be on the lineup card and it, it helped my mindset. And I know, you know, just from knowing you over the years, I know that, you know, knowing the league, being prepared, knowing your teammates and knowing your opponents is is part of your game. Let's delve into that a little bit. You know, how much of baseball to Brandon Freeman is played, you know, between the years and, and on the spreadsheets, you know, Monday through Saturday? <laughs> I would say from a hitting standpoint, I'm probably one of the worst as far as a mental approach to hitting. But I would say like I, I could, I've seen games lost over 
you know, a first baseman not knowing that he needs to be the cutoff from a deep right field hit to for a throw at home. So that's part of why I like liking first and third and knowing that, you know, and I've made mistakes even last year where I didn't, you know, cover a bag when I should have. And I think I just always trying to think through what are the scenarios and what's coming up. And but even like just the first game, I was taking the stats from last year and throwing everybody the spray charts out that were out there deep into that stats page was the spray charts. And and you'd be surprised. I mean, how some people have some pretty, you know, big tendencies to like, and it's funny because I'm my wife's cousins with the Yarberries and I saw them play. I saw them as little kids playing ball their entire life. And every one of them puts the ball everywhere. It's like hit the ball where it's pitched, but you got some pretty big hitters in the league that there's no reason to even stand over at third and think that they're going to hit it to you. Like, I mean, like Clay Murphy's one on his, his is a line drive ground ball, usually up the middle to the right. I mean, he's, it was hard to like, I mean, I got a, my family and my day job, so I couldn't like actually didn't treat it fully like a job, but <clears throat> it, it definitely changed. There's times, like even last year where, you know, knowing how Brock Chaffin hits, you know, I, I think I had to play at second base in the championship game that I took three steps to the left and I went a little deeper. That's how I, I, I would say defensively, I'm pretty good mentally as far as hitting. Like I, maybe it's because I'm not as athletic uh, and the guys are throwing so hard compared to what I was used to when I was younger. So I don't always go up there with the best approach when it comes to hitting, but I would say defensively, I try to put a lot of thought into it. Well, let's talk about your family a little bit. Uh, you know, you're the father of three girls. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, give me a, a snapshot. What is the atmosphere like in the Freeman household? Oh, man, I was telling somebody this the other day. Usually it's, uh, especially at night, I mean, there's always... Dad, Brandon, you know, somebody needs something, something's fixed, something's broken, you know, somebody's missing something. Yeah. Usually just a running point with my wife telling me, you know, what <laughs> something something always needs to be done, you know. So um, she works at the hospital. So, you know, there's days where, you know, I cover taking all the kids to school and picking them up. And I love it. I mean, yeah, I, I joke around about the how the high school years are going to go, but I started dating my wife when I was 15 and she had two sisters and she lived down the road from me. And uh, so I started dating her when I was 15. So I saw what it was like. And, and the spread of age is almost exactly like what me and my wife ended up having. So I know what I know what I'm getting myself into or what I got myself into. <laughs> you know, my nine year olds got real into basketball and we're in the middle of another season and my five year olds playing right now. So I think that uh it's a big thing I'm excited about is, is kids' sports. And they love watching me and Griffin. I think they mainly like the uh, going to the stadium and chasing foul balls and eating ice cream where my parents go, so grandma spoils them. And I was going to ask, you know, what is, you know, obviously I know with, with having three kids, you're, you could go to an activity every night of the week if, if you wanted to and if they wanted to and, it, you know, if you had the means. But, you know, what is that like for you as a father to, you know, you've got this activity you're involved with and, and you know, you give a certain amount of your life to being a baseball player and your kids are, are going to be old enough that, you know, they can remember, they're going to watch dad and, and kind of know what's going on and remember that. That's got to be a trip. Yeah, it's funny, like with my nine-year-old, like she's like, Dad, you're so good at baseball. Like you're so good out there. And, and it's like, <laughs> if you only knew, I'm not necessarily batting that good out there. You know? so, <laughs> but they're always, they're going to remember the good things. That's the cool thing about kids. But, uh, you know, I hope they, you know, they remember plays where, you know, like, Dad, I thought you were going to uh, 
pass out when you're trying to run from second to home. That was funny, you know, like, but hopefully they see me hustling. And that's the, that's the part that I, I like my kids being able to see me play sports. And it's a commitment for my wife to let me do it each year. You know, I know she doesn't always understand why I still want to play, but uh, she lets me do it. And I think the kids enjoy going. So. Yeah, that is a, uh, that's something that really doesn't get talked about too much with grip and rip you know we we ask for the players commitment but you know in a lot of cases it it turns into a family commitment as well i mean you mentioned your parents still come and watch you play so you know that's that's something too you know you still got mom and dad coming to watch oh baby boy oh and they love it and, and you can listen to the live feeds and hear my mom she's still the same way she was when i was in high school but uh my dad like he thoroughly enjoys going and always talking to me about the games. I remember the first year I didn't have a hit, probably had 18 at bats just playing for Galley. And my dad, he's like, just looked at me before the game. He's like, you gotta get a hit, man. You gotta get a hit. I gotta hit that game. So <laughs> no, I, I didn't play in front of my parents. Let's talk about growing up Freeman. I know you went to Spokane High School, Spokane, Missouri. Yeah, you know, what was that like? Is, is that where you grew up your whole life? You've, you've been from right here in Christian County? Yeah, I mean, I was born in Springfield, but I was living in the Highlandville area out in the country by the time I, time I could remember, so probably like four or five. So I was in that Highlandville, Spokane School District from kindergarten through to graduation. I know just uh, some folks may not know this. So Spokane, not big enough for football. They've got, you know, as you mentioned, baseball and basketball. So you can get fall and spring baseball, and then you've got the winter basketball and then summer basketball. And that's, you know, with those two things, you can go year round pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I look back and it wasn't until I started working in the Joplin area, I started working for towns like Greenfield and, and uh, Miller. And I noticed that they had like this, was it eight man football? I was like, why, why didn't we have football at Spokane? But I, I think what I found out was, you know, a lot of the athletic directors a long time ago in the SWCL kind of vowed to not have football and focus on other sports. And I wish I could have played football, but having a fall baseball season was really awesome because I played in the summer a little bit too. So it was like, and basketball to me was like, that's how you stayed in shape in the winter. It was something to do between baseball seasons. <laughs> so um, yeah, we, we typically got, Baseball would get over with. You'd have one day off. Basketball would start. You'd have a time change. Everything would get dark. You'd have basketball and then time change. You're back to uh, being outside. And I love being outside on the baseball field almost every day. So. so I know just from looking at some old newspaper pieces and stuff from the Christian County Headliner News, you were a pretty good baseball player at Spokane. So yeah, tell me about what kind of high school ball player you were. And, and going to a small school, I'm sure you had to be good at several different things. What was good for us is like there wasn't a lot of the the travel teams there are now so we had this family that moved in when i was in fifth grade two of the kids were in my class they were they were twins and they had a younger brother that was one year younger well their dad they had moved from california where they played competitive baseball from the time they were probably like three and he just it drove him crazy that there wasn't a team for his kids to play in so he got he formed a team between all of us and like I was up until my freshman year of high school, I was glasses, braces, pudgy. Like I wasn't athletic, and but he, but I was like they needed people on that team. So we got into the Babe Ruth baseball, and we would play uh, Cassville, Aurora, Monette. You know, we just would go around and, and play all these different teams. And uh, like he had a pitching mound at his house. You know, we'd practice at their house, and we had a really good 
coach, Brian Engel. Um, his son's actually the one I think that's at Drury now that's really good. So my freshman year, there were six or seven of us that were playing varsity our freshman year. We weren't varsity level yet. We, were, we weren't that good back then compared to the talent, but we had one really good senior and he was like, I mean, he would like lead off games with home runs. He stole bases and he was our pitcher. Like he was amazing. But most of the time we had so many errors, he would lose the game. He'd, he'd throw like seven innings, probably a home run, a couple of RBIs, two stolen bases. And then we lose a game because of errors, you know, because a bunch of freshmen, right? So he graduated. And then after that, we only had like two or three upperclassmen that played. And the, the problem with a small school is, you know, things change with people's families and they can't play and afford it. They, they, their grades, it was a revolving door of like usually three to four players, of how you're going to fill a team. But we had this core of six or seven of us that have played together forever. And we just continue to get better. Um, so once we got junior, senior year, we, we competed against like Clever and Sparta were the two big teams. Um, Crane and Hollister here and there had decent teams. And so we, I think we won the SWCL tournament once, maybe won the, the conference regular season. So as far as me personally, played second base freshman year. But after that, it was, I was our third pitcher usually. So our main pitcher, he was a first baseman when he didn't pitch. And then our second pitcher was a shortstop when he didn't pitch. So I would, it reminds me a lot of what I do in grip rip now. I never had a position. Every game was always like, go look at the lineup card. And like, even with batting, it was, there's no production in the forest slots. So it was like, Freeman, we need some, we need somebody. I went from like the two batter to seven, six, five. And it was, coach was always like, throwing me around in different places. And I, I think I kind of learned to uh, learn to appreciate that more as I got older. You know, at first I took it as like, why does so-and-so get a position? And it wasn't until my coach pulled me aside. I was like, I, I, I know I can put you anywhere I need you today and you're going to give me the best, you know, shot at, you know, so I, I never was like, well, leading the team in home runs, but I had some home runs. I never was leading in RBIs, but I got accolades as far as like team that I was really proud of was I got Mr. Defense junior year. And then I don't think I was leading anybody in stats any, in any category senior year, but my team, it was a team award. I got MVP and that's what everybody said. They're just like, yeah, Freeman, you can, you can always count on you to uh, be consistent, not always the best, but be consistent. And baseball was a lot of fun in, uh, in high school. On top of that, I know you would go on to end up at Missouri S&T. So there must've been some studying and some significant college preparation going on uh, in addition to baseball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say that. I, uh, <laughs> math just came easy. So, okay. So you're one of those guys who just <laughs> doesn't have to crack the book, but you could handle numbers. You had an aptitude for it. Uh, yeah. I, I crammed for tests and would, it just came natural. And, and uh, as far as like S&T, like, so I got kind of like, a, I would say a sad story. And I think that's why it's cool for Griffin Rip to be a, here is uh, S&T had a, had a, back then it was University of Missouri Rolla and a graduate from Spokane was actually on the team. He had walked on and he told me, he's like, Hey, you can walk on. You don't have to worry about, you know, he lets everybody on the team. If you're, you know, happy, if you're decent. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to practice this summer. I'm not going to play anything. I'm just going to have fun and, and work a construction job before I go off to college. So the coach was the assistant coach, like third assistant coach, I think, on the football team. And he was the head baseball coach. So he was a football guy coaching the baseball team. 
And well, I get up there is the first year they hire this new head coach from like a really good school to come in and make the baseball program better. So I go to the tryout and the first day I've never been to a tryout and it was a lot like the Griffin Rip tryout. And he gets everybody around and he just says, I don't know any of you. I don't know the walk-ons, the new guys, the seniors, everybody's earning their spot today. But, oh, great. <laughs> and like the precursor to that, I had joined a fraternity and I had spent a week just like living it up, having fun at college for the first time. And here I have a tryout on Saturday. I make it through the first day. It's an open tryout, like grip and rip. So I, I hit well, I feel it all right. My 40 time was so slow back then, like, I was six foot, got put at third base with one other guy that was six five, had already played baseball there, had like 15 home runs, led the team in RBIs. And I'm trying out against him and I'm like, oh gosh. So I make it through the first tryout. And the second day was the pitchers pitching live pitching to the hitters. And I, so I go from two a 75 mile an hour fastballs, 80 mile an hour fastballs, maybe to D2 college pitching. And I had, I didn't make the team and uh, I look back and it was sad and I, I miss it, but, you know, going to school there was tough. So probably better off that I didn't make it. Well, so the, uh, the happy ending there is you did leave S and T with a degree, right? Yes, I did. So, <laughs> so let's talk about this, this interest you developed in, in engineering and the, uh, the uh, finding of your way that must've taken place there at Rolla. Yeah, so I I uh I had two grandpas that one was a one was a developer. He built apartment building buildings, and then I had a grandpa that was a construction superintendent. So I knew I wanted to do engineering, and I decided on civil engineering because it was the most related to construction. I got through school, and then I went to work in Joplin for a firm and uh, a consulting engineering firm. So we would you know essentially a city had we would work for municipalities mainly on I worked on water and sewer projects. So a lot of it was, you know, the treatment plant was out of compliance and they would hire us to come up with a solution. And then you'd help them find most of the time it was, you know, federally funded grant money or state grant money to get money for their project. And then you design that project and help see it get built. And so, yeah, it, it uh, I quickly just fell in love with the job. And um, now the last nine years, I mainly focused on underground pipe systems. So all these pipes that went in the ground when treatment plants got built that carry the sewage to the treatment plant, they've been in the ground, you know, anywhere from 50 to hundred years. And just like roads deteriorate and potholes form and holes form in pipes. And so really just focused the last nine years on the use of technology through various investigation techniques and to find the, the worst problems to fix them first, you know, because like, like Springfield, to completely replace their entire sewer system would probably be, I mean, I guess maybe in the billions, like if they had to rebuild it all. I know like a small town like Miller, Missouri, 700 people, it would, I mean, just to put in, put it into perspective, to put in about a thousand feet of sewer line that's not very deep, that's eight inch pipe, that would run you about $110,000. And a town of Miller has maybe 50,000 feet of pipe. So it's, it's very expensive. You can't fix it all. So we come in, what I've worked on the last nine years is looking at techniques to go in and find problems quick. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of flow monitoring where we, we go in and measure how much flow is going through pipes and uh, everything's gone cellular. So where the monitors that we put in are pushing data 
to the office. And then we work on developing dashboards to view the data and then analyze the data. And it's fun. Now, was there a point in your studies or, or a point in your career even where you came to this realization like, you know, hey, I really enjoy utility systems and particularly wastewater. You know, this, this is what I want to work with. Or did that just yeah. sort of happen to you over time? It, it was 2012, probably around 2012 was when I really garnered interest in that. It, and it mainly started around, I think it was a Sierra Club, which is an environmental agency. I think they they won a lawsuit against EPA um, for not because when when the pipe systems get overloaded with rainwater, it overloads the pipes and then all the all the wastewater comes up and out of the system and you get sanitary sewer overflows. And they basically sued EPA and they were successful in that that should be considered a bypass of the treatment plant. Anytime you bypass the treatment plant, it violates your operating permit. So I think that happened maybe around the time I got out of school. And so once EPA started enforcing that to the state with DNR, then DNR started enforcing it in a lot of the cities I was working in. So they were like starting to have these, like they would come to us as consultants and say, hey, you know, we have to come up with a plan on how we're going to fix the sewer system. You know what we need to do? And so it was like, I started investigating it. And it was because of that happening, there wasn't a lot of technology. If an iPhone was really good technology, the, the amount of technology they were using in utility systems was like a regular phone from 25 years ago, right? So it, it had been a problem that nobody was being enforced to fix. So therefore nobody was doing anything about it. And it was just continually getting worse. And I, and I think I just, I, I love putting together plans and getting stuff built, but having a problem that like didn't have a solution yet, and there was a lot of cutting edge technology. And yeah, that's just kind of what drew me to it. And I think like, Deep down, I take a lot of pride in caring about something that nobody really knows even as a problem. You know, like if I if I was to show you a picture of an overflow I saw last week of sewage coming out of a manhole right in the middle of a town you're in. I mean, most people on in Grip and Rip, I could find where they live and say, yeah, I know this manhole down here when it rains, you shouldn't go in that creek because it's probably going to have toilet paper and grease and other things that go into the sewer that you don't even want to think about. I really liked working in the small towns. I work more bigger cities now, but I really liked working with the city councils and helping them understand their problem and then wanting to help fix it, you know, or wanting to fix it. Next time on Burger Bites, a Christian County, Missouri native shares the very personal significance of his season with the Ozark Mountain Ducks. And we learn firsthand what it's like behind the scenes of a world famous restaurant. We're talking throwed rolls with a guy who once sent the bread flying all the way across the dining room. That's next time in part two of my conversation with two-time Grip and Rip Baseball League champion Brandon Freeman. Until then, I'm Rance Berger. Good night from Ozark, Missouri. Thank you.